أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وأصلي وأسلم على من بعث رحمة للعالمين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين وبعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته everybody here ما شاء الله and everybody watching at home and welcome to our first session and introduction introductory session of the Burda of Imam al-Busaydi I'm really excited about this because it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time uh, and I haven't really seen it being done uh, a lot uh, if at all to be fair um, so inshallah this will be a really really good journey uh, to go on inshallah together with uh, ta'ala let's get straight into it inshallah today's session is going to be uh, nothing to do or it's not going to be uh, on the actual poem itself so we're not going to touch the poem today uh, rather we're going to reserve that right for next week inshallah ta'ala uh, rather today what we're going to do is we're going to set the scene Insha'Allah, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a few things, uh, a little bit about poetry uh, in uh, the Arabic language and in Arabic culture and especially uh, in Islam. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, who Imam al-Busaydi is, uh, what did he do, uh, what the Burda is, what it's about, uh, and a little bit about a roadmap of the, uh, the poem so that when we get into it, we're not going to be lost because it's a long poem. It's about 160 odd verses. Uh, that's quite long and none of us are well versed in the Arabic language uh, and none of us are well versed in poetry either well not that I know of anyway I'm certainly not so um, in order to make our lives easier inshallah we'll go through this uh, little introductory session inshallah that will give us a good platform to be able to enter into the world of the Burda inshallah and benefit from it uh, as much as we possibly can so inshallah uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, poetry so poetry in the Arabic language is not unlike any other language. Uh, poetry is found in English, it's found in Persian, it's found in uh, Greek. Uh, whatever language you can think of, they probably have some form of prose and some form of poetry. And poetry is basically a mechanism that you use in order to um, uh, communicate uh, feelings, emotions and deep meanings in a uh, innovative way uh, that is not just normal speak uh, between me and you. Um, so Arabic is not exclusive uh, to this idea of, uh, of poetry. And, Ara uh, and poetry in the Arabic language has been around for I don't know how many centuries, like a long, long time, predating even the Prophet Sallallahu by centuries. Uh, we're talking like in the time of uh, men like Ya'rub uh, ibn Qahtan. Uh, that's like two centuries before even the Prophet Sallallahu came about. Uh, people like Imr al-Qais who was there around 50 odd, 60 odd years before the Prophet Sallallahu was around. Uh, these guys were well-known poets and they are recognized as Jahili poets. So any time that is predating the time of the Prophet Sallallahu is known as the time of Jahiliya, right? The time of ignorance, darkness, and obviously the Prophet Sallallahu came with enlightenment, with the light of Islam. Uh, and so everything after that is obviously the Islamic period. So we have poets in the Jahili period uh, that were very, very famous and very well known. Even in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, that still transferred. The people were still uh, reciting poetry. Sometimes they were doing it for good reasons. Sometimes they were doing it for bad reasons. And even from amongst the Sahaba of the Prophet ﷺ, there were those who, in fact, every single Sahabi knew poetry. Right? Abu Bakr anhu, Umar anhu, Uthman, Ali, all of them have documented uh, sonnets, couplets that they have written or that have, they have said and that have been documented and written down thereafter. So all of the companions from amongst the greats to the unknowns, all of them were well versed in poetry. But there were some that were significant and heavyweights in uh, this particular field that 
if you were to go to any one of them to uh, write you a couplet about anything, you would go to these people. These people are people like Hassan ibn Thabit. Now everybody knows that Hassan ibn Thabit was a uh, illustrious companion عنhu, loved by the Prophet and he was one who the Prophet created a member for him to stand upon and defend the honor of the Prophet when he was being denigrated, when he was being harassed and insulted by the Mushrikun in poetry form as well. Right? So the Mushrikun, they're writing poetry against the Prophet ﷺ, against Islam, against the Muslims. And you have people like Hassan ibn Thabit, Al-Nabigh Al-Ja'di, uh, and uh, uh, Abdullah uh, ibn Rawaha, and all these others that were really, really well-versed amongst the companions in poetry that would defend the honor and praise and eulogize the Prophet ﷺ as well. Uh, how do we, uh, and the Prophet ﷺ, in fact, he said about these people, and these very people, Hassan ibn Thabit, Abdullah ibn Rawaha, uh, Ka'b ibn Zuhair uh, and others like them he said about them that that these people are more severe upon the Quraysh than arrows falling uh, upon them right so that's how that's how good they were uh, with their with their tongues so how do we reconcile the fact that poetry existed at the time of the Prophet and predated the time of the Prophet and even was there after the Prophet up until our time now Muslims, even amongst the ulama, all practice this and when we studied, pretty much most, half of our studies were either in poetry form or in nazam form, right? Uh, so how do we reconcile this with ayat of the Qur'an uh, that, uh, that talk about that the poets, only the misguided follow them and we have ayat in the Qur'an, that, uh, in Surah Yasin for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَمَا عَلَّمْنَاهُ الشِّعْرَ وَمَا يَنْبَغِي لَهُ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا Mubin, right? Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's talking sort of in a denigrating fashion with regards to poetry. Poetry is not a good thing. The misguided, only they follow the poets, right? We didn't teach the Prophet ﷺ poetry, nor is it befitting for the Prophet ﷺ to, to speak in the tongue of a poet, right? So we have Hassan ibn Thabit, poetry, the Prophet ﷺ uh, encouraging him to go forward and uh, defend the honor of the Muslims, right? And then we have these ayat. Some people have taken these ayat in the literal in its literal form and said poetry is absolutely haram and we shouldn't do it and we should stay away from poetry because Allah said this. And there's even a hadith uh, uh, in Bukhari, I believe, uh, where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, something like that, where uh, the Prophet said that it's better for a person to uh, for his for his belly to be filled with vomit, than for his insides to be filled with uh, with poetry, right? And if someone was to recite poetry, then throw turab, throw dust on his face. That's the statement of the Prophet right? So you have these statements that are you know, flying around in our Sharia. So how do we reconcile this with that? Or well, pretty easy. Uh, the shi'r that the misguided people follow are is the poetry that is calling towards misguidance, that is taking you away from Allah and His Messenger, that is uh, busying you from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, taking you away from your obligations and your responsibilities in life and taking you down a slippery slope with regards to uh, bad manners, bad characteristics, slander uh, and insult and so on and so forth. All of this sort of stuff, like modern day rap and hip hop, uh, all of that stuff uh, is, a, is a no go. That's the, that's the shi'r, that's the poetry that Allah and His Messenger are calling against. Not the poetry that is used to defend 
the truth. Not, is, not poetry that is used to uh, aggrandize uh, Islam or the Prophet because these are all good and praiseworthy things. Yeah? So there's no conflict between uh, poetry uh, and the ayat in the Qur'an uh, between that and the poetry that was uh, recited by the Sahaba and all of them after the who came after, including that of the Burda of Imam al Busayri, rahimahullah ta'ala. Uh, so there's different types of poetry, right? Uh, there is uh, all depending on what type of meaning you want to convey to your listener, right? So there is the nasib or the ghazal, which when you want to talk about love and affection and the grievances of love and how you've been separated from the ones that you love uh, or from the woman that you love those sorts of things you use the nasib and it has uh, certain characteristics and certain rules and regulations that, uh, that, um, uh, that is subjected to you have categories or types like iftikhar where you want to aggrandize yourself and show off uh, your achievements your abilities uh, the people that are around you the tribe that you belong to or the people that you belong to and how good Finchley Masjid is and so on and so forth and, right? And how great the Imams are, mashallah, right? <laughs> that's iftikhar, right? And that's, you can do that all in poetry form, right? Um, there's hija, which is like lampooning. This is what the mushrikun used to do a lot. And this was really, really popular in the time of like um, uh, the Umayyad dynasty. Uh, so the early, sort of 100 years or so after the Prophet sallallahu passed away. Uh, made famous by two poets, or three, uh, Jarir, Farazdaq, and Akhtar. Uh, these three were so known for the hija. Uh, hija is basically when you cuss one another, you insult, right? It's like a battle. Uh, <laughs> who gets the one up over the other? And so Jari uh, and Farazdaq, what they would do is they would insult each other, right? And they were so popular for doing this that uh, they became known all across the land. And whenever Jari came up with a poem that was cussing Farazdaq, everybody would be talking about that poem. Oh, did you hear what Jari said? And he said this about Farazdaq, and he said this about his mom, and he said this about <laughs> his tribe, and all sorts of crazy stuff, right? And then a certain, uh, you know, a, a short while will go by and Farazdaq will come up with a poem against Jarid and his tribe and his family and all these other things and how, how much of a coward he is in battle and so on and so forth. <laughs> and they're going back and forth and back and forth. And they did this for years and they went from city to city and uh, uh, they became really popular for that. That's a type of poetry. Uh, and in it has its sort of, sort of rules and regulations uh, in it. One of the categories, one of the types of poetry is Madih. Praising, eulogizing and aggrandizing. This is the uh, category in which the burda of Imam al-Busayri falls under, where he is praising and aggrandizing the Prophet But it's not just uh, a madih type of poem. It is a hybrid and a mix, as we're going to see, inshallah, when we go through the, uh, the map of uh, the burda uh, of Imam al-Busayri. We're going to see that he includes different types and different categories of poetry within his qasida, within his poem. Uh, so that's that is quite deep, mashallah. All of this uh, is just to show the, the depth in which Imam al-Busayri has authored uh, this poem. It's not something that uh, has just come up from one night's uh, sort of discussion. It is a malaka, it is a mastery of an art that takes many, many years uh, to, to acquire. And Imam al-Busayri was one of those masters, mashallah. Uh, so the Burda, it falls under prophetic odes, a uh, poem written in the praise of the Prophet This genre of poetry wasn't new to the time of Imam al-Busayri. 
we're going to speak about a little bit more about his times uh, in a bit, but it was around this type of uh, sort of praising the Prophet ﷺ in poetry form was around even at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. So we've spoken about Hassan with Thabit being there to defend the Prophet's honor against the, the Mushrikun whenever they tried to uh, denigrate him and dishonor him and, and put him down uh, through their poetry. So Hassan ibn Thabit, he was also the opposite, so lampooning the Mushrikun, but also aggrandizing the Prophet One of his most famous couplets that he ever writ, or that he ever said, and that was memorized and passed on uh, thereafter, I think there was an Ashid made, uh, made up out of it as well. وَأَحْسَنُ مِنْكَ لَمْ تَرَى قَطُّ عَيْنُ وَأَطْيَبُ مِنْكَ لَمْ تَرِدِ النِّسَاءُ وَأَجْمَلُ مِنْكَ لَمْ تَرِدِ النِّسَاءُ خُلِقْتَ مُبَرَّأً مِنْ كُلِّ عَيْبٍ كَأَنَّكَ خُلِقْتَ كَأَنَّكَ قَدْ خُلِقْتَ كَمَا تَشَاءُ Let's try and on the fly <laughs> translate this one, right? Um, so uh, he's saying in it that um, that uh, so perfect uh, a being an eye has never seen and uh, so beautiful uh, a person uh, 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 or so a beautiful uh, or no woman has given birth to uh, so uh, a, a person so fine uh, you have been created absolutely flawless it is as if you have been created by your own design Allahu Akbar um, other things other things that he said Hassan al Thabit said uh, I've actually taken notes of these hajawta muhammadan fa'ajabtu anhu wa'inda Allahi fi al jaza'u so uh, this was written or this was said at a time when the mushrikun were just cussing the Prophet Sallallahu and denigrating him and after the Prophet were asking them to stop and telling them listen you guys have got to stop this otherwise we're going to do something about it they continued uh, and so uh, the Prophet ordered Hassan bin Thabit to lampoon them back and give them some, a taste of their own medicine so he stood up onto, on his minbar that the Prophet had made for him and he began to recite these verses. So he said, You have dishonored the Messenger of Allah so I have come to defend him. And with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that is a great reward. And when he recited this verse, the Prophet turned to Hassan ibn Thabit and he said to him, uh, That your reward, Ya Hassan, is uh, al-jannah uh, he goes on hajawtu muhammadan barran hanifan rasulullahi shimatuhu al-wafa'u you have uh, dishonored the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam muhammad uh, the uh, the righteous the honorable uh, the messenger of allah whose characteristic is loyalty fa inna abi wa walidi wa walidihi wa irdi li irdi muhammadin minkum waqa'u aw waqa'u so my father's honor and his father's honor and my own honor are is a shield between you and the honor of my beloved Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Nabi al Jadi, another example uh, he said uh, he came to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and recited a long poem uh, I'll recite a couple of those um, uh, that uh, uh, he came to the Prophet and he said, "Atayt Rasulullah if Jaa bil Huda, wayatlu kitaban wadi al Haqi Nayira, balagna sama majdan wujudan wasududa, wa inna la narju fauqa dalika madhara." He said that I came to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as he came with guidance, uh, reciting uh, the enlightened book that is clear with truth. Uh, we have reached, as a result of it, uh, the skies in honor and um, uh, generosity and in leadership. 
uh, and we wish even more than that uh, as a station uh, or to reach more than that uh, in, in status. So when, the, when he recited these, these couplets, the Prophet ﷺ, he turned to him and he said, he asked him, إِلَىٰ أَيْنَ يَا أَبَا لَيْلَىٰ Where is it that you wish to reach? What status would you like to get to? So he looked at the Prophet ﷺ and he goes, بِكَ إِلَىٰ الْجَنَّةِ With you to Jannah. And the Prophet ﷺ looked at him and replied and he said, إِلَىٰ الْجَنَّةِ inshallah. We'll go together to Jannah inshallah. So this was something that praising the Prophet ﷺ, aggrandizing him, eulogizing him was something common even at the time of the Sahaba And obviously you have the famous story of Ka'b ibn Zuhair. Anybody know who Ka'b ibn Zuhair is? Ka'b, the legend, right? It all started with Ka'b. Ka'b, uh, he was a non-Muslim for pretty much uh, most of the um, uh, messengership of Rasulullah And it was only towards uh, sort of uh, uh, after the uh, conquest of Mecca where he became a Muslim and he was known for his poetry and his father Zuhair was one of the legendary poets of the time of Jahiliyyah he was known for his poetry but in a bad way because he was one of those who would uh, denigrate and cuss the Muslims and put them down and dishonor the Prophet in particular and he did this for a, a good number of years and when uh, the conquest of Mecca came and everybody came to the Prophet ﷺ asking his forgiveness. He forgave everybody except a handful of people and one of those, uh, one of those peoples was Ka'b ibn Zuhair. And he said that if you were to find Ka'b, then he's, he's finished. <laughs> right? There was a death warrant on Ka'b ibn Zuhair. So Ka'b, he, he fleed. He, he left Mecca, he ran away, uh, he ran to the hills and he stayed there for uh, sort of a, 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 short, a short amount of time until he got to the point where he couldn't take it anymore and he needed redemption and so he came to the Prophet ﷺ in Medina and he came when he was covering his face and he made sure that no one would recognize who he was and he managed to find his way to the Prophet ﷺ and he knew that if he was to be caught at that particular time he's finished because the the command of the Messenger ﷺ has come out and he knows the Sahaba that they're not going to go against the command of the Prophet ﷺ. but he manages to somehow find his way through the crowd into the court of the Messenger وسلم, and he sits down and he looks around to see what's going on, who's there <laughs> Omar, where is he? <laughs> to make sure he's not around <laughs> right. and uh, he sees that he, he gets an opportunity to reveal himself to the Prophet وسلم, and he has prepared for him a poem right? and so he uncovers his face I am in front of you Ya Rasulullah I have come to redeem myself and the Sahaba, they see him, they're like, oh, that's Kaab, let's get him. And the Prophet says, like, whoa, whoa, chill, 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 chill. He's come and he's managed to find his way to me. If it wasn't written, then he would have, his life would have ended before this. So let, let us hear what he has to say. And so he recited a poem uh, that is uh, written in the legends uh, of poems. And it's actually called the Burda. Uh, uh, or alternatively, it's called Banat Su'ad. Uh, it starts off with that matla' banat su'ad fi qalb al-yawma mabtulu mutayyamun ithraha lam yufta makbulu and it goes on uh, speaking about uh, this person called su'ad which is supposed to be the love of his life and su'ad is a uh, a metaphor for the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and in it he talks about how he's been separated from this woman called su'ad and this separation has caused him so much grief meaning that he was separated from Islam for so long he was separated from the Prophet for so long and that caused him so much grief that he wanted to come back and then he goes through uh, sort of uh, different um, 
scenarios and uh, different circumstances and it's a real journey his poem mashallah and at the end of his poem after reciting it and he finishes it uh, the Prophet he takes off his burda and the burda is a cloak that the Prophet used to wear took off his burda and he chucked it uh, we gave it sorry sorry I'd chuck it there <laughs> 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 you go cap and he gave it to uh, well I mean he threw it on him actually he, he uh, enshrined him in that in that cloak and uh, Captain Zuhair, he kept that cloak as a family heirloom and he gave it to his children and his children gave it to his children and they held on to it um, uh, as, a, as a token of honor. Uh, so that, is, that was a poem that was aggrandizing and eulogizing the Prophet Again, nothing new with regards to uh, this particular genre. So uh, the reason why I say this is Imam Busaidi didn't come with anything new. Uh, he wasn't saying anything that wasn't said or wasn't done before him. Rather, the genre of the Mada'ih and Nabawiyah, the praising of the Prophet ﷺ in poetry form, the odes of the Prophet ﷺ, these evolved and changed over time until you get to the time of Imam al busaidi So, who was Imam al busaidi and what time did he live in? Uh, his name is um, Sharaf al-Din Abu Abdullah uh, Muhammad ibn uh, Sa'id uh, al busaidi uh, He was uh, Moroccan, Allah, uh, in origin. He was from Sunhaj. Uh, so his uh, parents and his parents' parents, they originated from that, that area of the world. But he was in fact born and raised in Egypt. So he was born in Bani Suif in a town called uh, Busair. His mother or his father, one of the two, was from a town called Dalas, both of them in Bani Suif in sort of southern Egypt. Uh, he grew up there in the 7th century uh, after the Hijrah. So he was born in 608 after the Hijrah. That's about the 13th century uh, in the Common Era. Um, so uh, a good sort of 600 years after the Prophet uh, He was uh, brought up with a pretty good education. Memorized the Quran when he was younger. Uh, mastered all the uh, sort of disciplines with regards to the Arabic language, uh, the Islamic study, uh, the Islamic sciences. All when he was a, a young child. And he went on to have a career in uh, sort of uh, as a government aide. So he was uh, a scribe to uh, some of the uh, government officials. Uh, he went on to do administration uh, for the government for a very, very long time. And he was known for his poetry. Uh, he was a good poet and he was very, very eloquent with his writing. Um, some sources even say that he was, uh, one of his professions was a, a tombstone writer. So he would write uh, sort of, uh, or he would etch uh, sort of writings into uh, into stones and uh, uh, and walls and and other things. So uh, that was uh, 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 sort of Imam Busaidi's profession for for a long long time. Uh, obviously, the seventh century is a time where there are a lot of ulama around. Uh, we have uh, Ism <coughs> Abdul Salam. Uh, we have Ibn Dqiq al Eid. Uh, we have uh, the uh, uh, major shuyukh in a lot of disciplines uh, alive at that time. Uh, we have the uh, the Subkis uh, and the um, uh, the Abna Rushd and all these other uh, mashaykh, uh, well-known uh, scholars uh, during that time. So it was a time where knowledge was widespread. It was also a time of great grief as well because that was the century in which Baghdad uh, fell to the Mongol uh, invasion, and that was the capital of the Caliphate, and it was the first ever sort of major loss that the Muslims were on the receiving end of. So it was a time of uh, sort of uh, uh, the spread of great knowledge uh, and the presence of great ulama, uh, but at the same time it was a time of great grief um, uh, and sadness also. Um, how did 
he authored this poem and what led him to write the Burda um, so we said that he his career was in um, uh, as a government aide so he was working amongst uh, people sort of top officials uh, at the time in Egypt and uh, he was throughout his life he was obviously religious in nature um, uh, but not as religious as he wanted to be not as fervent upon the deen as he wanted to be and he found when he was in uh, sort of his uh, during his career that the way the uh, sort of the the khilafa was officiated the way the um, uh, the governors were officiating their uh, whatever they were, whatever it is they were doing wasn't done in the best of ways and wasn't done in the service of uh, the muslim ummah and there was a lot of sort of uh, conflict of interest uh, at the time and potentially a lot of uh, corruption that just didn't sit well with him and for a long time he you know let that slide uh, all because of the fact that that was his job and that was his uh, form of rizq uh, and that was how he was sustaining himself and his family and so on and so forth and that's where his standing was in society a lot like all of us whenever we find ourselves conflicted with our deen we kind of make this trade-off where yeah, I know you know it's it's having an impact on my deen but it's also my job it's also my profession and it's something that I've just got to grip my teeth with and inshallah if something comes better then I'll go to that and so on and so forth so Imam Abu Sayyid was kind of in a similar position uh, which is subhanAllah good because that can sh- that shows that we can relate to his journey with regards to the um, the attachment to the Prophet so he's very much disillusioned with his situation in life he felt that he was chasing the dunya uh, he was reciting poetry, but that poetry was eulogizing, aggrandizing the governors and the salatin and the uh, and the khulafa. But it wasn't actually. It was all for the dunya, and that weighed heavy on his heart. He didn't have that spiritual fulfillment. On top of that, the corruption that was there really sort of weighed heavy on him. So it came to a point where he needed to make a decision in his life for the better. Uh, he wanted to connect with Allah. He wanted to connect with the Prophet He wanted to go back to his roots and alleviate himself of all of this, all of this stuff that, he's going, that, that was happening to him. On top of that, he actually became more active in terms of revoking and rebuking the uh, the governors in what they were doing and how they were conducting their affairs and so on and so forth. So he was on the receiving end of a lot of cri- cri- criticism at the time as well. So he was like, allow this two-facedness, I'm done with this, let me go. So he then migrated to Alexandria. So at the time of, uh, of me telling you this, he was in Cairo. Uh, and that's where the governance was based and he migrated to Alexandria which is north of uh, Cairo at the uh, sort of um, uh, sorry no no Swiss Canal is far away from that Um, but it's it's on the coast uh, in the north where the Nile ends Uh, anyway there he met uh, the Sheikh al-Mashaykh of that city Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi uh, Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi was a, a famous sheikh, uh, well-known uh, for his taqwa, for his piety. Uh, he had many, many mashaykh, as well as many, many students that studied underneath him. From his students are Ibn Ata'illah Sakandari, the famous author of the hikam, uh, those things that are uh, sort of the wisdoms that uh, make sense of the world, make sense of the Quran, make sense of the Sunnah uh, in a subhanAllah uh, extraordinary el- eloquent way. Inshallah, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us and gives us tawfiq, we'll also go through the hikam inshallah wa ta'ala. Uh, and what's interesting is that uh, Imam al Busayri is the student of Abu al Abbas al Mursi, Ibn Ata'illah is the student of Abu al Abbas al Mursi. The hikam of uh, Ibn Ata'illah al Sakandari connects you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right, in a different way uh, 
And the burda of Imam Busayri connects you to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in a different way. So here you have Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi connecting both men uh, to Allah and his Rasul in SubhanAllah uh, in an amazing fashion. From his students was also uh, uh, Sultan al-Ulama uh, Izz ibn Abdul Salam. Right? So, they used to have no bihi, man. He's not, uh, uh, not easy guy, Abu Abbas al-Mursi. So he met him and he uh, sat under his tutelage and Abu Abbas al-Mursi uh, taught him and guided him and gave him direction in his life, that direction that he was yearning for all those years when he was working as a government aide. Shortly after that, uh, he became ill. <clears throat> and this illness was quite severe in that parts of his body were completely paralyzed uh, uh, to the point where he couldn't move them. And he went looking for physicians to sort of make him better. Uh, is there a remedy for my illness? Uh, and he went through physician after physician after physician. They came to his house to try and uh, sort of make him better and alleviate him of his ailment and his malady. But none could avail him for, of, w of what was afflicting him. And so losing hope in the creation, he turned to the creator. And he turned to him in dua and istighfar, remembering all the years that he spent chasing the dunya uh, in heedlessness of Allah and his messenger, wanting to uh, redeem himself with something that will be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so he decided to author and write the, this burda, this poem, all in the praise of the Prophet sallallahu And so he did it and it took him some time, but he completed it. And upon its completion, when he slept, he saw the Prophet ﷺ in his dream. And he recited this poem to the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ was so happy with this poem that he was being recited to him that he did what he did to Ka'b ibn Zuhair all those years ago, which was take off his burda and wrap it around the uh, Imam Busayri. And when he awoke thereafter, he was free of his ailment and his paralysis subhanallah now this is like it seems like a fairy tale right to me and you because we live in a world where science and metrics and data and everything is measurable and you can't measure this how is it that a dream cured a living man right how is it something that meta something metaphysical and something in your consciousness has the ability to uh, alleviate your your ailments this is not something new the Sahaba عليهم, they all experienced this as well. In fact, uh, Abdullah bin Umar عنه, he had pretty much one of the, uh, something very very similar in which his his foot or, or part of his leg uh, became numb uh, to the point of paralysis, and uh, this is um, uh, recorded by Bukhari in Al Adab al Mufrad. Uh, a man came up to the to Abdullah bin Umar, and when he saw him in this position, he said, "Uzkur ahab al nasi ilik." Uh, remember or mention the most beloved person to you. So Abdullah bin Umar, he says, he said, Ya Muhammad, and he was cured of his uh, of his ailment in his foot. The Salat and Salam upon the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has a significant impact on a person's heart, a person's mind, a person's spirit, a person's well-being. Dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa taala. And the Salat and Salam upon the Prophet ﷺ, as prescribed by Allah, in the Allah wa This is a type of dhikr that we do, right? Sending Salat upon the Prophet ﷺ. and this is uh, prescribed by Allah subhanahu wa taala in the Quran. And if 
The Quran is shifa. The words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shifa in them. The commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He commands us with, which is the salat and salam upon the Prophet, also has that shifa in it. Right? The Sahaba they knew this. Imam al Busayri, he knew it. And all those who um, had uh, sort of had this uh, uh, sort of experience uh, knew this also. Um, okay. Uh, when this happened, Imam Busayri got up, left his house, and on his way, uh, he was going to the masjid to uh, pray um, uh, salah and do shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And on his way, he met a righteous man. And this man came up to him and asked him for this burda that he had, he had written. And Imam al-Busayri was so shocked at this question because he had not told anybody that he was doing this, uh, writing this poem. He hadn't told a single soul. This was between him and Allah. This was a redemption between him and Allah. And here you have a man who is asking him for this poem that he has written. So Imam Busayri asked him, how on earth do you know about this poem? So this man said to him that I went to sleep last night and I saw in my dream the Prophet ﷺ sitting in front of a man. This man was reciting a poem uh, uh, that who's, which, which the first line of which was and he went on. That was the first. Uh, that's the first line of the burda. Uh, and I saw the Prophet ﷺ so happy with this, and he was uh, smiling, and he uh, placed a cloak around uh, the man that was reciting it to him. And I saw that man was you. And he was like, he was so shocked by that. He was he was to- totally totally taken aback by it. And so he gave him a copy of. Uh, the Burda uh, that he had written. Um, this isn't a strange thing either, right? And again, we're looking at this as like this is like a fairy tale, man. This is like some sort of uh, myth or legend that you know you just made up, <laughs> and it's not actually real. But this is something that many, many of the ulama had experienced had experienced even before Imam al Busayri. Famous story of Imam al Ghazali, rahimahullah. He was uh, one day in his majlis, a bit like the majlis that we're in today. And uh, a man came to the majlis and asked him about the ayah in Surah Ar-Rahman. Right? Every single day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking care of the affairs. Right? He asked him, ma What affair is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taking care of today? What affair is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, commanding today? So Imam al-Ghazali rahimahullah, didn't have the answer. So he asked him, come back to me tomorrow and I'll give you the answer. So he comes back tomorrow and he asks him again and Imam al-Ghazali doesn't have the answer. And this continued for three days. On the third day, Imam al-Ghazali had gone to sleep and he had seen the Prophet in a dream. And the Prophet asked him that if this man comes to you, or he told him that if this man comes to you and asks you this question again, say to him this. And he taught him a few words. The next day, Imam al-Ghazali went to the majlis, and this time he's no longer like hiding from the man. <laughs> For these past three days, he's like, I hope this guy doesn't see me. I hope he doesn't come to the majlis, right? But this time he's like, Where is he? Where is he? <laughs> so he finishes his majlis, and he's like, Where's Fulan ibn Fulan? He was asking me this question. Where is he? Where is he? So he pops his head up, and he goes, Ask me the question. <clears throat> and he goes, Ma sha'nu rabbika al-yawm. What affair is your is your Lord taking care of today? So he tells him what the Prophet had told him. He said to him, That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has affairs. 
<coughs> he manifests these affairs, but he doesn't begin them. Meaning that the affairs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has already written in the Lawah al-Mahfuz. These are already done and dusted. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has pre-decreed and pre-ordained everything that is going to happen to you. All that happens now in our time is that these things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has pre-ordained manifest themselves to us. Right? As a result of this, he raises people in ranks and others, he lowers them down to the point of humility. Meaning that some people recognize the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the, the qudra of Allah and the aqdar of Allah, the predestination and the pre-decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and recognize that you are going through life with Allah's decree manifesting itself to you. And this raises you in your iman and your closeness to Allah and your reliance upon Allah. And there are others who fight against the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are displeased with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has apportioned for them in this life. Right? This is a result, uh, or the, as a re- the, the result of this is them being humiliated, not just in this world, but also the next, right? So when he said this to this man, the man replied to him, Salli wa sallim ala man allamak. Send salat and salam upon the one who taught you this. And he left. SubhanAllah. This stuff isn't strange. The Prophet ﷺ appearing in people's dreams, giving them mubashirat. The Prophet ﷺ even said in an authentic hadith, "Lam yabqa min ba'di or lan yabqa min ba'di illa al-mubashirat." Qila, "Wama al-mubashirat ya Rasulullah?" Qala, "Ru'yatun saliha yaraha rajulun salihun fil manam aw tura lahu." That nothing remains from prophethood after me except mubashirat. Something called mubashirat. So like us, the Sahaba عليهم, asked the Prophet what is Mubashirat? What is this Mubashirat? And he said that the Mubashirat are dreams, righteous visions that a person sees in his dreams or that are seen for him. Righteous dreams, good dreams that a person sees, a righteous person sees or that are seen for him by somebody else who is righteous. Right? So you see a dream of I don't know, me for example, mashallah, explaining the Burda and it being a great success. Mubashirat, that's Mubashirat. I see, I see uh, mashallah, uh, a dream of our brother, mashallah, getting married, right? Mubashirat, right? I'm being facetious there, but that's Mubashirat, right? And this is from this very same chapter, this very same category, Mubashirat. Okay. Um, so that's the, the reason why the Burda was written uh, and inshallah we'll go through the journey of it uh, very very soon. Uh, many many ulama have gone on to explain uh, the Burda, gone on to elucidate its meanings uh, and written books and authored books around the Burda. Uh, notables amongst them are the likes of uh, Zakari al-Ansari, Sheikh al-Islam, the uh, Imam of the Shafi'i Madhab. Uh, we have people like Khalid uh, al-Azhari, uh, uh, Ibn Hajar al-Haythami, Al-Zarkashi, uh, uh, all of these big, big ulama in all of the different disciplines in, in Islam. We have Usulis from amongst them, Mufassirun from amongst them, uh, we have Muhaddithun from amongst them. All of these people have gone on to explain and gone on to elucidate the meanings and authored books around uh, the Burda of Imam al-Busayri. And there is no poem that is written in the Arabic language, written in Islam ever from throughout history that has received the amount of attention, the amount of memorization, the amount of love and adoration like the poem of uh, the Burda of Imam al-Busayri. None. To the, to the point where it is recited today 
all across the world whether you go to Nigeria oh or whether you go to Kenya whether you go to Indonesia whether you go to India uh, or Pakistan uh, whether you go to South America North America everywhere in the world Bur Burda is known either they know it off by heart and they're not even ulama 160 verses they've memorized it uh, and it's recited at ceremonious occasions weddings and so on and so forth or um, uh, they have heard about it either they know it or they've heard about it right so if you say someone to someone the Burda like I've heard something about the Burda but I don't, I don't really know it right in popular culture Masood Curtis, Sami Yusuf, Maher Zain even, all of these guys have sung uh, nasheeds based on the Burda. Maulaya of uh, Maher Zain, that's uh, based on uh, the Burda of Imam al Busayri. Um, Sami Yusuf, I think he's got something called the Burda. And Masood Curtis also uh, has got something called the Burda as well. Um, so it's, it's around even in popular culture. So even if you're totally sort of disconnected from uh, religiosity, totally connected, disconnected from Arabic literature, you know something about the Burda. The Burda is connected to each and every one of us in some way, shape or form. The reasons for its popularity is because firstly, uh, education. Uh, so when people want to uh, sort of um, get to grips with the Arabic language, you can do it in many ways. Obviously the Quran is the pinnacle of the Arabic language. We have the Ahadith of the Prophet Sallallahu as uh, fine examples of eloquence in the Arabic language. So you want to understand and you want to get to the depths of the eloquence of the Arabic language, you go to these sources, right? But when you're a student and you want to practice and you want to experiment and you want to uh, sort of take apart, naturally you're going to make mistakes because you're not you know, an alim just yet. You're just a student, you're still learning. So instead of, so the teachers, what they would do, instead of giving students uh, the Quran, ayat from the Quran or ahadith from the Prophet for them to dissect and make mistakes on, they give them lines of poetry uh, in order for them to, to use, in order to make sense of the Arabic language and get to grips with its depths. Yeah? So which poem could they have chosen? They could have chosen a million poems, but they chose the poem of Imam al-Busayri amongst other poems as well. But one of them is, uh, that they chose was uh, the Burda of Imam al-Busayri. Why? Because of the second reason of its popularity. Because it's in praise of the Prophet the Burda of Imam al-Busayri instills in the one who listens to it, the one who reads it, the one who learns it, a love and adoration and affection of the Prophet that makes the Sunnah of Rasulullah mean something to him in his life. Right? Before I studied uh, the Burda, we studied fiqh, we studied hadith, we studied all sorts uh, over in Egypt. Uh, and they were studied in a way uh, where you look at it in sort of the paradigm of halal and haram. What is permissible? What is impermissible? What should I do in this situation? What should I do in that situation? How should I conduct myself when I find myself in this, circ in this scenario? And what, what if this circumstance happens? Is it permissible for me to do this? Is it permissible for me to do that? What I would do in those situations is I would look for ayat of the Quran. I would look for ahadith. And this, is our, this was basically our relationship with the uh, ahadith of the Prophet Sallallahu was looked at it in that way. And even the Shama'il of the Prophet ﷺ, to some extent, those hadith that talk about his character, the way he, he conducted himself, uh, how sort of noble he was, and uh, how gracious he was, and how he sort of carried himself towards others and stuff, even that was sort of like an air of like, you know, mustahabbat and what's encouraged and how you should be as a person and so on and so forth. But never sort of, you never got that connect, that loving connect, that adoration. And the Burda of Imam al-Busayri instills that in you. It takes you on this journey with Imam al-Busayri, where you go through uh, his own life and his own experiences with regards to his connection with Islam and his connection with the Sunnah of the Messenger and how he was at one point disconnected, feeling like something's missing in his life and he needs to reconnect. 
looking for that, that, that avenue that's going to allow him to reconnect and allow that love to grow and that adoration to grow for the Prophet and to revere him and to exonerate him and to, uh, and to really sort of raise him up to a noble platform. These things that he inspired to but was never able to do. The Buddha takes you through this journey, you're with Busaidi as he's going through it. And he gets to the point where he eulogizes and he aggrandizes the Prophet and it's just an, a, an amazing feat. And then you get to the point where he's seeking istighfar from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all the past misgivings and the misdeeds that he's done, the wasted opportunities where he could have connected and he could have followed the sunnah and he could have loved the Prophet more, but he didn't. Right? And all of our lives, every single one of us has that same journey that we go through where we feel connected at some points and we feel so disconnected to others we look at people and we aspire and we hear stories of others and we aspire to be just like them but in our lives there are so many obstacles that stand in the way of us and getting to our goal subhanallah um, so yeah that's the Buddha man the Buddha is all about the love of the Prophet redemption for not having followed in the footsteps of the Prophet and this is very much a central theme to Islam a very central theme to Islam there's a hadith of the Prophet where he said that لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من والده ووالده والناس أجمعين that a person, none of you truly believes until I become more beloved to him than his parents, than his children and all of mankind together Right? That's the maqam of the Prophet We know the story of Umar anhu, right? Came to the Prophet Or oh, he's walking one day with the Prophet And the Prophet had him sort of hand in hand And Umar anhu, he said right? That you are the most beloved person to me Except for myself I kind of love myself a little bit more than I love you And he said this out of innocence And I don't think he, <laughs> he kind of knew where, where he was supposed to be With regards to the maqam of Rasulullah and the Prophet ﷺ turned around to him and he said, uh, nafsi bi uh, min nafsik. That you will not truly reach the uh, sort of the pinnacle of your iman until I become more beloved to you than your own self. So the Prophet ﷺ said, uh, so the Umar Abdullah returned to the Prophet and said, Naam, innaka. <laughs> <laughs> you, are, you, are, you are more beloved to me than myself So the Prophet turned around and said Now you've reached right. uh, Central theme central theme. Many ayat in the Quran The love of, the, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is only found Through following the Prophet The gateway to Allah is The Prophet We're only going to find redemption with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Through the Prophet Right? Central theme, themes of love and connection uh, uh, and a solid relationship and a solid foundation. Right? So this is uh, the foundation which uh, Imam al-Busaydi has based his burda on and this is why uh, it has uh, garnered uh, so much popularity. In our time though, it's taken a bit of a hit. 21st century uh, Islam, the burda has kind of been put on the back burners. There's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of misunderstandings around the Burda. Uh, before I studied it, even when I was here, back when I was 16, 17, I was just starting to get religious, right? Uh, I was hearing things about this thing called the Burda, 
And growing up, mashallah, my family, they were quite sort of into uh, going to halaqat of dhikr and reciting the burda uh, and so on and so forth. And I used to attend these things. I didn't know what it was about. I just used to go there for the food because it was really <laughs> the food was killer afterwards, mashallah. Right? Um, <laughs> and uh, so we used to have this food and they used to recite the, the poem and stuff and they used to explain it and stuff. And I was like, okay, this sounds interesting, but let's get down to business. Uh, and then... Um <laughs> So then I, I, I mixed up with a, a, a few crowds and I heard some terrible tales of the Burda that in it is shirk and kufr and bid'ah and all these things that are, you know, displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I was like, dude, my family was saying, <laughs> this ain't good. And obviously when you're young, yeah, you don't have much knowledge. I didn't have any knowledge of the Arabic language. I didn't have knowledge of anything in Islam, to be fair. And, you know, when you're young, you kind of think you know it all just because you know a couple of <laughs> ayat and ahadith. You remember a surah Baqarah and you think, oh, mashallah. <laughs> right, alam al ulama, right? So uh, that was kind of the situation. And that was, that, that's widespread and it's, uh, it's not uncommon uh, that you speak to someone about the burda of Imam al Busayri and he suddenly sort of takes a step back and is like, bruh, <laughs> you're going to take me to Jahannam with this stuff, man. <laughs> but subhanAllah, went to Egypt, studied it with Mashaykh, people who actually know their stuff and worth their salt and have gone through the necessary prerequisites in order to be called an alim and found there to be absolutely nothing of those things in there and if anything you know you can read and misconstrue certain things but then you can read and misconstrue anything you can get the ayat of that's what uh, is, is that not what the kuffar do with, the, with regards to the quran they get ayat of qital and ayat of jihad and they start talking about how ah oh, muslims are terrorists and they want to kill everybody and so on and so forth right so you can get any text and you can misconstrue it but this poem needs to be looked at the lens of love and redemption through the Prophet and it's a taste thing it's not a halal and haram thing it's not a shirk and kufr thing it's a taste if you have good taste in art and if you have good taste in Arabic language you'll get it if you don't have it then you're not going to get it and you're going to end up going down the road of the shirk and kufr and bid'ah uh, in, uh, in this poem so inshallah we're not going to uh, go into that particular aspect too much just just yet but inshallah the uh, as we go through the verses inshallah we'll uh, shed a little bit more light on that bismillah ta'ala we'll close now inshallah with a map of the burda by the way guys you can download the translation of the burda arabic and english it's in the description of the youtube video inshallah that is live right now inshallah so uh, everybody here if you want a copy of it um, i have prepared the arabic and the english uh, translation. I've relied mainly on the translation by uh, a man called Mustafa Azam. It's translated by many others, Hamza Yusuf, Abdul Hakim Murad, uh, and many non-Muslims as well um, have translated the uh, the Burda. Uh, but I chose Mustafa Azam because uh, he's done it in a way that is sort of um, uh, it's done in a couplet form, in a sonnet form. So it's using the same metrics that uh, a normal English poem would use. So it has a rhythm to it and so on and so forth. So it's really, really nice, inshallah. So we're going to go through that ta'ala. So in order to access that, you can find it in the description uh, of the video, uh, inshallah ta'ala. Let's go through the, uh, the map. So the Burda, uh, we said before, 160 verses. So quite long. Inshallah, we're not going to take 160 days to go through. We're not going to go through it verse by verse, spending more entire dust, inshallah. We're going to go through it, uh, uh, sort of, inshallah, chapter by chapter. Uh, uh, the, it's split up into 10 chapters. These chapters weren't introduced by Imam al-Busayri, they were introduced after him, but they were based on how he has written the Burda itself. Right? Uh, the first chapter uh, is going to go through the grievances of love. Ghazal wa shak wal gharam. In this particular chapter, he's going to talk about um, 
uh, sort of his, his the love of his life and how he has been separated from his the love of his life and how he longs to meet them once again and what this separation has made him feel and uh, the uh, result of that in terms of uh, how his mind thinks and how his body reacts and so on and so forth all of these things are discussed in uh, the first chapter the grievances of love and this is a common theme uh, in ghazal where you speak about um, uh, the people that you love and uh, it kind of sets the tone right and in this particular uh, sort of um, theme and genre a person's talking about the love of his life as if he is talking about a woman that he loves or a man that she loves and that they have been separated as a result of people who are uh, you know, not in favor of them getting together and not in favor of this marriage and so on and so forth so they, uh, so they separate them uh, and that sort of sets the tone uh, for the rest of the poem and also it engages the listener into this journey that Imam al-Busaydi is going he's talking about his, his pain right, and what he's been afflicted with and you feel that through his language and then you're ready to, to see how he comes out of this pain and where the story ends. So chapter 1 deals with that. Chapter 2 is uh, entitled Admonishing the Whims of the Self. He's going to talk about uh, the nafs and where it takes you, how it misguides you, how it is easily led astray by shaitan and how it doesn't have your best interests at heart. And he goes really through the intricacies of our own psychology as human beings and how susceptible we are to our own desires and disobedience with regards to rules and regulations that have been set up for us and with regards to even though we profess love sometimes we can even go against the love that we profess right so he talks about those intricacies in that chapter fantastic chapter three he gets into the nitty-gritty the praise of the prophet and this is where it all starts he's gone through two entire chapters and they're not short there's about 30 odd 40 odd verses before he actually mentions the prophet and starts to speak about him. In this chapter, we're going to go through the praise of the Prophet ﷺ and his aggrandizement. Chapter 4 is talking about the birth of the Prophet ﷺ, right? So, uh, his, uh, the, the, the praise of the Prophet ﷺ doesn't start just because of his prophethood when he reaches 40 years old. Rather, his praise starts on the day of his birth, right? And it goes all along before prophethood and even after prophethood, um, after death. Uh, chapter 5 goes through his miracles right? Because obviously when we're praising the Prophet ﷺ, He came with amazing things, he came with miracles So we're going to talk about um, uh, many miracles From the uh, splitting of the moon to, to water coming from his fingers in wudu To food being uh, sort of served in abundance Even though the pot is small uh, All of these miracles that were documented in the Sunnah of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And Chap that's chapter 5. Chapter 6 is obviously the greatest miracle of the Prophet ﷺ, which is the Noble Qur'an. The Prophet ﷺ came with, the best thing that the Prophet ﷺ came with was the Qur'an. So in, it, we're in this chapter, chapter 6, we're going to talk about, or he's going to talk about, uh, the uh, sort of the amazing qualities of the Qur'an and how the Prophet ﷺ, his status was raised with the Qur'an and how the Qur'an is raised with the Prophet ﷺ, both hand in hand. Uh, chapter 7, uh, again, uh, another one of his great miracles was the night journey, the ascension, Isra wal Mi'raj. We're going to go through the Isra wal Mi'raj. So it's kind of like a seerah as well, right? We're going through his birth, we're going through the Quran, we're going through the uh, Isra wal Mi'raj. So seerah is housed in this uh, in this uh, poem as well. Uh, chapter eight is his jihad. Allahu Akbar. So his jihad, his uh, his uh, his courage on the battlefield, his ability to lead men and women. 
who are on the precipice of death but still would sacrifice themselves uh, for, for, for the cause uh, of Allah and His Messenger, for Islam, right? And his own sacrifices in those times, right? Really, subhanAllah, the way he describes the Prophet in those, and that's not really often talked about, right? Maybe because of the society that we live in and the times that we live in, uh, we kind of shy away from those sorts of things. But they happened, and it's part of history, um, uh, and, it's, and it's worth uh, sort of speaking about. And obviously, he describes it in a way that is, mashallah, uh, uh, gives honor to the, to the Muslim. Uh, chapter 9 goes on to talk about redemption through the Prophet, wasallam. So he's gone through speaking about the Prophet ﷺ in different ways, his birth, his miracles, the Qur'an and all sorts. And then after all of this, realizing the status and maqam of the Prophet ﷺ and realizing how far away he is from that. So we come back to the redemption. Ya Allah, please forgive me. I have wronged myself in so many different ways. And so he seeks redemption through his love of the Prophet ﷺ, through his following of the Prophet ﷺ, and through this burda that he has written in his honor. And then finally with chapter 10, seeking uh, Allah's uh, forgiveness um, and closing off uh, with that. There is an epilogue uh, at the end, uh, inshallah you'll see on the, uh, uh, in the translation. Uh, that epilogue is not part of the burda, but it is something that some of the mashayikh had added on to the burda thereafter, inshallah. So if we have time to go through it, we will go through that ta'ala in due course. That concludes the introduction and the map of the Burda of Imam Abu Sayyidi inshallah next week ta'ala, we'll go through chapter 1 the grievances of love it's going to be a wicked chapter uh, inshallah very very entertaining um, uh, and I hope inshallah uh, that you guys will join us for that and benefit from it I hope today's session was beneficial as well uh, inshallah ta'ala. we went through uh, quite a few intricacies uh, and in depth but something that is necessary inshallah to pave the way for the Burda of Imam Abu Sayyidi inshallah ta'ala. So, we're not, so we're not sort of like surprised uh, what we find inshallah we're ready uh, to receive it I'm happy to take any questions inshallah if anybody has any uh, and then we can draw the uh, the session to a close inshallah is, uh, is the Laila Khairat kind of a similar thing? yeah yeah by um, Imam al-Jazuli so the Laila the, the Khairat is like a, it's, it's a book on uh, dhikr uh, it has sort of like salat, salat and salam upon the Prophet uh, it's basically a book of awrad uh, the wird is something that you would do. So you know how you have your adhkar in the morning and the evening, right? Mm. So you wake up in the morning, after fajr, you do adhkar until the sun rises. After asr or an hour before maghrib, you do adhkar until uh, uh, the sun uh, sets. That is called a wird, something that you do constantly. And the wird in the Arabic language is the animal that goes to the watering hole retur and returns, and goes to the watering hole and returns. That's the wird, yeah? Um, uh, so it's something that you do uh, recurringly. Uh, so the Burda of Imam Abu Sayyid was actually taken as a wird because it was fashioned as Salat and Salam upon the Prophet ﷺ, praising the Prophet ﷺ, which falls under that category, so it was taken as a wird. The Al Khayrat is one of those books that was like that, uh, not in poetry form, uh, it's du'as and adhkar uh, that are used as wird, uh, words like that. Um, so, yeah, that's that, mashallah. And there's many books like it. Uh, yeah, many, many books. Any other questions? Are there any questions online? To the, uh, the YouTube massive. Let's have a look, shall we? Before we end. Yeah, we can't forget the YouTube massive, man. Allah. Unless there is, I don't know if there is a YouTube massive, they're probably all <laughs> switch channels, right? <laughs> Allah. 
So oh, here's a question. Uh, wasn't the main verse of the Burda actually given to Imam during his dream by the Prophet? Ah, okay, so there is one verse um, that is like that. Um, uh, where uh, Imam al Busayri he says, uh, That's the Shatr al Awwal, that's the first uh, sort of uh, part of the couplet. Where, um, and so he, he recited this couplet and he couldn't find a way to finish that off. Right? I'm not going to go through the translation of it, but this is the verse, inshallah. It's going to come and we'll, when we get to it, we'll, we'll talk about it more, inshallah. He went to sleep that night and he saw the Prophet in his dream and the Prophet completed that, that verse for him. He recited it to him, he says, And the Prophet responded to him and says, that's the verse that was uh, taken from the Prophet uh, The chorus, I think, uh, that, that, that's what the question is, is maybe asking about Mawlaya salli wa sallim da'iman abadan ala habibika khayri khalqi kullihimi That's obviously Mahir Zain's uh, chorus as well uh, for his tune, wicked tune man, I love that But uh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not aware, to be fair, that that was from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to him But I know for sure that that was the part that is alluded to that was taken from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa uh, own mouth SubhanAllah Amazing. Okay, so I think we'll, we'll draw it to a close. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa qina adhaab al-nar. Allahumma alimna ma yanfa'una wa anfa'na bima alamtana wa zidna ilma ya rabbil alameen. Allahumma ati nufusina taqwaha wa zakiha anta khayru man zakaha anta waliyuha wa mawlaha. Allahumma arzuqna hubba nabiyika sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala abdika wa nabiyika muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma hachurna fi zumratil anbiya'i wa siddiqina wa shuhada'i wa salihina wa hasuna alaika rafiqa. اللهم ارزقنا اتباع نبيك صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم ثبتنا على سنة نبيك صلى الله عليه وسلم آمين يا رب العالمين وصلى اللهم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد ولا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواسوا بالحق وتواسوا بالصبر آمين يا رب العالمين وجزاكم الله خيرا